You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. Welcome back, everyone, to our Thursday night College Central Teaching. We've been studying the life of Jesus in the book of Mark, and we've seen Jesus do a lot of miracles already, but tonight what we're going to see is what many would call the biggest miracle of Jesus' life. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. This is the miracle that directly met the needs of more people at one time than any other miracle he did, by far. This miracle also comes at a very crucial point in the development of Jesus' disciples. If you remember last week, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is about two years into his public ministry. We're only a year from the cross at this point. He's coming up on the last Passover that he will survive. His disciples had been with him for well over a year of these two years. And last week we saw Jesus sent his disciples out in teams of two in order to try to do some ministry. After watching him for all those months and years, he finally sends them out two by two. And after being gone for probably a couple of months, Mark tells us the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. And so after going and going and going and doing so much, they came back together. And this would have been an exciting time, talking to Jesus about what they had said, what they had done, hearing from their fellow disciples the same thing. You know, Jesus, he doesn't want us just to go, go, go. He wants to sit sit down sometimes and talk with him about what we're saying, about what we're doing, to hear from our fellow workers about this same thing. And after months apart, they finally get together to talk about how it went. But what Matthew tells us is that this rendezvous with Jesus and his disciples happened to coincide with Jesus getting some terrible news, some devastating news about John the Baptist. His cousin John, the guy who believed in Jesus before it was cool to believe in Jesus. He's the guy who... um, pointed to Jesus. He's the guy who Jesus said, this is the greatest man who's ever lived up until this point in history, was brutally murdered by King Herod Antipas. And I don't know if you've ever gotten horrific news, news about the death of someone you love. Even if you see it coming, it's too much to handle. And yet here, this was a senseless, tragic murder And this hit Jesus pretty hard. He, you know, this is not a time to be going around and meeting the needs of strangers. This is a time where you want to grieve, you want to process, you want to be with the people closest to you. You want to be in a safe place. And so that's what Jesus does. He says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest for a while. We need need to go someplace private. The crowds, they just kept coming and going. He was so popular at this point. There were so many people coming and going. Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they were hungry, they hadn't seen each other, and Jesus is so sad because he's just gotten this horrible news. And so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Mark is emphasizing what they wanted to do, what they longed to do, and it's going to be a real contrast with what actually happens because they get on that boat and many people recognize them and they saw them leaving. And imagine the disciples' horror as they begin rowing along the shore on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee and to see the people who were gathered there begin to run along with the boat. They come to the first town thinking maybe they'll stop there. No, they come out of the other side of the town. There's more people. Each town, each traveler they meet, they're picking up more followers, more crowds. 
People from many towns were running ahead along the shore, and they see where he's going to land in this quiet, desolate place. And by the time Jesus gets there, there's a huge crowd as he steps off the boat. And what does Jesus do? Does he send him away? No, he doesn't. It's not that it's it's not that we should never say, no, I won't meet this need right now. But on that boat with the disciples, the little time they had, what he got is direction from the Father. You need to minister to this crowd. And what Jesus saw, he said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is a theme in this time in Jesus' ministry. Wasn't this what it said before he sent out the disciples on their first missionary journey we saw last week? He had compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He sees a lost world, and they need what he has to offer. Jesus came on a rescue mission for these lost crowds. He came to give his life so they could have a relationship with God, so they could have forgiveness. And his whole mission is to seek and save those that are lost. And he's training disciples that will do the same, that will bring this message of good news, this message of forgiveness, a message that God extends to you tonight. So he began teaching them many things because he saw their greatest need was teaching. But they had physical needs as well, and he's going to meet those too. Well, after teaching all day, a day the disciples did not plan on having with the crowds, his disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, um, Jesus, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but it's a very remote place. It's already very late. I, I think it's time to send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat because we I mean we there's like 5,000 men here not counting all the women and children probably 15,000 20,000 people that's a lot of people I mean you ever been to a a sold-out Ohio State basketball game or a Blue Jackets game that's 20,000 that's the crowd that had gathered around Jesus but Jesus answered them with something they just didn't expect he said you guys should give them something to eat. What? Well, John gives us a little more detail on this interaction. It was turning to Philip. He said, hey, Philip, where can we get some bread for all these people? We learned earlier in the Gospels, Philip's from Bethsaida, which is where they were. He's like, hey, you're from around here. You got any connections? Don't you know that guy at that, uh, that uh, matzah place there? Of course, Jesus was testing Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. You know, they'd been out all semester on their lab, their ministry lab. And now Jesus is testing them. It's time for their final exam. He's saying, hmm, I wonder if the things you learned there, the way God works through you there, if you've learned something about the way that God is going to work through you here. I wonder how they do on this test. They're like, uh, uh, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. He says eight months' wages, 200 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage for a common laborer. Two-thirds of a year's salary. So let's say a a 30,000 a year salary, that's $20,000. They're like, $20,000? Oh, so we're just supposed to go and spend that much on bread and give it to him to eat. Yeah, that's what you want, Jesus? Uh, You know, you can see... You can see in Philip's response here, you can see his frustration. You can almost see an anger here. And the rest of the disciples were obviously saying the same as well. Like, oh, yeah, just $20,000. Oh, oh, you know what? I left my $20,000 in my other tunic. Hey, uh, uh, Peter, did you bring your $20,000 so we can feed this crowd something to eat? You know, it's a bad sign when Jesus asks you to do something and you get angry at him. 
because it's more than I can do. That's, that's kind of the point. Philip's exactly right. The disciples are exactly right. If you ignore the power of God, there's really nothing wrong with their math when it comes to human calculations. It would have taken that much. You know, there's 20,000 people. That's a dollar a person. But what he had left out of his calculations was the power of God. How do you leave that out of your calculation? Can you believe these guys? I'm really glad we're not like them. They left out the power of God, and now they're mad at Jesus. Some of them were probably just feeling bad, like, I can't do this. Others are, are upset. And that's exactly why Jesus is asking this question. That's exactly why he's, he's set up this whole situation. He's trying to teach them something. He needs to teach them, what I have in mind for you are hungry crowds far greater than 20,000. I'm going to send you guys out into the whole world. And you're not going to have enough resources. And you're going to have to learn something very important about serving me. He says, how many loaves you got? Why don't you just go and see? Just see what you got on your end of things. Again, John gives us a little more information. The disciples apparently are going out there. They're surveying the crowd. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, comes running back and he says, oh, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And everybody looks over and I'm like, And he's like, yeah, well, but, I mean, but what good is that with this huge crowd? You know, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, I think in that family it was speak first and then think later. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had it where you, you get halfway through a sentence and you're like, uh, your brain's like, okay, we are saying something really dumb. We need to get out of this sentence as quickly as possible. That, that's what's happening here with Andrew. His response at first glance seems pretty foolish. I mean, what good is that with this huge crowd? Five loaves, two fish. I mean, we're talking, you know, five English muffins and a couple of sticks of beef jerky. Barely enough to feed a little boy. But maybe there's something to it. There's something Jesus actually likes about his response. And this is our first important lesson about serving Jesus is you need to bring him what you have. You don't have enough on your own. But... He just wants you to start by bringing him what you have. He's more concerned with our availability than our ability. As Watchman Nee puts it in his excellent biography, he says, the point here was not the quantity of material in hand, but the blessing that rested upon it. This lesson is not easily learned. The hopes of so many are still centered, not on the blessing of the Lord, but on the few loaves in their hands. Yes, it, it's... The, the, the five loaves and two fish weren't enough. What that needed was the blessing of God. It's so pitifully little we have in hand, and yet we keep calculating with it. And the more we calculate, the harder the work becomes. Yes, they're calculating, and two months' wages, and this much, and maybe we could take this and chop it up into little pieces. That's still not enough. It's, they're looking within instead of looking to him. Looking within instead of looking to him. And our part is important, but his part is more important. That's what they needed to learn. That's what we need to learn. And Jesus says, yeah, I like that. Andrew's wondering, hey, what good is this? And Jesus says, no, I can work with this. And so he tells the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Eyewitness detail. 
So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. This is basic crowd control. What Jesus is about to do has the potential to go all, you know, Walmart Black Friday here. He's trying to prevent a mob with this hungry crowd. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up toward heaven, and he blessed them. Blessed them. And then he began breaking the loaves into pieces and kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And he's giving and giving and giving, and they're not running out. And the people are being fed. How, you know, he also divided the fish too, not just the bread, also the fish. How how did he do that? I don't know what this looked like. Was it like Mary Poppins where he's just reaching into his bag and just pulling out giant things? Was this... You know, where he kind of takes one loaf and puts it behind his back, and he's like, hey. Or was he like, hey, Peter, what, what's that behind your ear? And he's like, oh, a catfish. I don't know how he did it. But what we do know is this right here. He kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Yeah, Jesus, he could have been like, all right, sit down. I'm going to show you this again. He could have passed it out himself. I mean, he could have caused it to just materialize in front of people, you know, like some kind of Rabbi Dumbledore where he's like, you know, it's Christmas at Hogwarts. I don't know if they had those, like, T-shirt cannons back then, but, like, I kind of imagine Jesus kind of listening for the loudest part of the crowd and shooting some bread in there. He, He could have done, he could have had a bread launcher, he could have done whatever, but he chose instead to give the bread to the disciples and have the disciples give the bread to the people. And so here we see a second lesson that he needed them to learn. Bring them what you have, and then keep coming back for more bread. This is free refills here. We need to keep coming to him. He's he's the complete source for everything he wanted them to do, and he's their continual source. He didn't give anyone a truckload of bread. No, he gave them an armful, and they went and passed it out. So you can kind of imagine, you know, here's they're going to Jesus, and they're receiving from Jesus. And then they're coming over here, and they're passing out. And then they're out. And then they go back to Jesus. And they receive from Jesus. And then they go back. And they pass out some more. And then they're out again. And it's back and forth and back and forth. And this is the pattern in serving God. We need, you know, part of serving him is growing deeper in our relationship with him. He's the complete source, and we can't unplug from that. You think about an extension cord. You know, an extension cord doesn't generate electricity. It simply is a conduit from one spot to another. It delivers the electricity, and it can deliver a powerful, powerful amount of electricity, but it's got to stay plugged in. It's not a battery that stores things up. Or you think about like a food delivery person, like a, you know, a door dasher or whatever. You know, they don't, they don't make the food. They don't harvest the vegetables, raise the meat. No, they just get a call. They go to a restaurant. They grab a bag. They drive to my house, and they drop it on the doorstep. We're bread delivery people. That's what we are. That's what Jesus is communicating to his guys. And our role is important, but his is more important. Had a fun experience this past weekend when all fireworks displays were canceled. Some friends of ours, they drove to Indiana. And they all chipped in and they spent an ungodly amount of money on the biggest, you know, pile of fireworks I've ever seen in one place. And I've never been in on like the launching of the fireworks, but, you know, we went out there the other night to one of the guys' grandma's backyard, and uh, they, they had this, this grassy hill, and they had so many fireworks. And um, 
I was there with my family and my son, who's 10, was just, his eyes were about this big. And, and he was like, can I shoot some fireworks? And they're like, yeah. And so, the, you know, they, they even had to give, give him a lighter because we didn't bring a lighter with us. But we got, we got to light some fireworks. We got to see these things explode, not from a distance, but from below. And, you know, we didn't make the fireworks. We didn't drive to Indiana. We didn't spend that kind of, I mean, it was eight months wages. I think that they spent 200 denarii that they spent on these fireworks. We didn't even bring a lighter. We just showed up and got to blow some fireworks up. And then we go back, we blow it up, we go back to the pile. It's the same size. We light another one, we go back, it's the same size. It was really fun. It was the best 4th of July fireworks display I've ever been to. Partly because we got to be a part of it. And the more we went back, the more we got to set off. And, and it's exciting serving God. That's kind of the way it is with ministry. Is it's like God has done all the hard part, but he still gives us a part to play. You know, we tend to think there's something inherently awesome about the people God uses. Like I could never be like one of them. But think about the people Jesus used here. Exhausted and fresh off some bad news. They're young with nothing to give. They literally had nothing to give these, these crowds. They didn't want to serve. And they even refused when he asked them to do so. They had just failed their ministry final exam. They didn't answer any of his questions right. And they were willing to come back to Jesus for more food for the crowds. And because they had this, None of this really mattered. This was the important part. They were willing to come to him and keep coming back for more as their complete and continual source for this awesome thing that he did through them. Well, it was a huge success. The crowds all ate as much as they wanted. And these were people that were, lived in basically a consistent state of hunger. They didn't get full that often. And they ate as much as they wanted. And afterward... The disciples go out and they pick up 12 baskets of leftover bread and finish. Jesus has one more job for them to do, and that's to pick up the leftovers. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed, and there was leftovers. Which leaves some people wondering, well, 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Well, why did Jesus make too much bread? I mean, if you're going to do a miracle, why not land it so that the last bite equals the last person who could possibly shove something in their mouth. I mean, was there like, a, like something Jesus didn't calculate? I mean, was there like a low-carb section of the crowd that just didn't eat as much as he thought they would? No, I think Jesus made exactly the amount of bread he intended to make. The question that we should be asking is, where'd they get 12 baskets? They're out in a desolate place, and you know, is there like a basket salesman there? He's like, oh, we have 12 left. Do you want them? No, 12 baskets. And if, they, if the disciples had 12 baskets, why didn't they fill them up before they left? Why are they out of food? The answer is, they did fill them up before they left. A couple of months ago, before they left on their ministry tour. See, Jews, they, they, would, um, they would bring these, these storage baskets along because they didn't know if they were going to be in Gentile territory. They didn't know if they could get food that was going to meet their cleanliness standards. And so... These baskets could hold several days' worth of food. And so what we find is that the crowd got a meal. The disciples 
got their bellies filled up as well, but they also got the leftovers. They got several days worth of food out of this. And this is our third and final lesson that Jesus wants us to learn here, that he wanted them to learn, which is to enjoy the leftovers. That when you're served by him, you get your needs met. But when you're the one being used by him to do the serving, you get a deeper and more satisfying meal, something that's going to last longer. And this is how it goes with serving God. You know, I think about going to that fireworks display. And, you know, I, like I said, I've been to fireworks displays before where I'm sitting far away and watching the fireworks go off. But that was nothing compared to being the one lighting them and standing below and watching the blast and feeling that, that surge of fear. Is this going to turn over and shoot directly at me? <laughs> Which, of course, you know, I'll always wear the proper protective gear. But um, <laughs> it was so much more fun, even though there weren't as many and they weren't as big, it, it be, being in on it. Seeing the crowds just enjoy the show. And this is how it is with serving God. You know, at the beginning of the evening, the disciples, they're hungry, they're tired. They didn't expect to be doing this. The last thing they want to do is spend any more time with these needy people, this crowd that just seems like it has endless needs. And they, they don't want to do this, and they are not answering Jesus' questions correctly. And then he's like, just bring me what you got. And he's like, take this and give it to them. Take this and give it to them. And we begin going to Jesus, and we begin going and giving out. And we go back to him, and we receive, and we go and we give out. And as the night goes on, the disciples, they see the miraculous happening. They see the people go from harassed and helpless, dejected, trampled by life, and they see the, the smiles on their faces. They see the joy. They see the genuine needs being met. They see, the people begin thanking them, and they're like, it's not me, it was, it was Jesus. They see the people begin to look at Christ through new eyes. And they end up having one of the most memorable experiences of their lives. They went in the strength of this lesson all over the Roman Empire with the gospel. Ended up turning the world upside down. By the end of the night, things were very different. And you can have this experience if you're willing to step up and say, yes, Lord, here I am. Just some final thoughts here. You know, I think the biggest barrier that I hear from a lot of people is just this sense, I, I can't do this. That might be good for somebody else, not me. Too messed up, too many problems. The things I've been saying how unfaithful I've been, the things I've been thinking, the things I've been looking at. I can't do this. We, we, we even maybe try and fail. We feel dumb for trying. Look, Andrew's objection is correct. What, what are these? You know, what good are these with so much need all around? But the thing is, God already knows that. That's the, one of the lessons you need to learn. This, this failure is, the, is the, sometimes the back door to success. This is the path. We need to learn, like Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to learn the lesson of 2 Corinthians 3, 5, where Paul says, we're not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy comes from Christ, who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. This is the new way of serving God, where he works through normal people, not some priestly caste, but where we're all priests, where we're all ministers. We all have his spirit inside of us. Those loaves and fish, I mean, 
there was nothing special about the loaves and fish. You know, you put those fish in a police lineup with other fish, and they would look exactly the same as all the other fish. What was special about them was they took these and they put them in the hands of Christ. And what was nothing, nothing special, became something real special because it was in his hands and his blessing rested upon it. Will you put yourself and your meager abilities in the hands of Jesus? That's the question. And the starting point is, is a transaction between you and God where you say, God, here I am. And maybe you've been raging and battling and feeling so dejected. You felt mad at God. You felt mad about the way things are turning out. You need to go back to God and reconsider, why am I doing this? Some of us watching tonight, we need to come into a relationship with Christ. That's the starting point. We need to receive his spirit, his forgiveness, so that we can be made adequate by him. I think it's good, though, to tell some fellow Christians you're interested. We got a lot of groups with a lot of godly people that have some experience in this area serving God, and they could maybe help you figure out where to get started. I think you should ask God what step he wants you to take. And listen, really listen. Expect him to speak to you. He will direct you. And you need to trust him to multiply the loaves and fish, not looking within and getting dejected, angry about what's being he's expecting of you. No, it's where you trust him. You say, I'm going to do my part, God, and I'm trusting you to do your part as I step out here. I'll close with another quote from Watchman Nee. He says, what is blessing? It's the working of God where there is nothing to account for his working. When five loaves provide food for 5,000 and leave 12 baskets of fragments, that is blessing. When the fruit of your service is out of all proportion to the gifts you possess, that is blessing. Or, to be rather extreme, when taking account of your failures, there should be no fruit at all from your labors. And still there is fruit, that is blessing. Blessing is fruit that's all out of correspondence with what we are. It's not just the working of cause and effect in a closed system. No, it's, he says, when we calculate on the basis of what we put in, we merely bar the way for God to work beyond our calculations. That's what I want to be a part of. God working way beyond human calculations. If on the other hand, we set our hearts upon the blessing of the Lord, we shall find things happen that are altogether out of keeping with our capacity and surpass even our dreams. And that's the message of Mark 6, the feeding of the 5,000. I'd just like to close by talking to the Lord. God, thank you for this important lesson you taught the disciples. God, we need to learn this too. Thank you for the, the privilege of even having a relationship with you, Lord, much less the significant eternal purpose you want to give to our lives, Lord. So many of us are longing for purpose and you say that can only be found in you, Lord. We were made to serve you. We were made for you. Lord, I pray that we would not cower in our inadequacy, but that we would just bring you the little bit that we have. We'd keep coming back to you, Lord, and that we would enjoy the leftovers, God. Enjoy the 
overflow into our lives, the satisfaction of being used by you. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.